where, where Paul's leading us in Galatians, and it's this. That, that what we do as followers of Jesus, what we do is we live out of what has been done for us. Jesus has saved us. He loved us. And when we do what we do, we do it because He loves us already. We live out of that. We don't do it to earn His love for us. And He calls us to do that. And I just believe a couple things. One thing is this. I believe that that we can't get caught up uh, in in being a church. It's not what God's called us to live out as as He's done for us and we're living out of it. He hasn't called us to be a church that looks at the world and complains about all the things that others aren't doing or are doing. But but what He does want us to do is He wants us to, to do something about it. And so I just love uh, the idea of safe families because, you know, these are, these are kids that live in your neighborhood. And you, go, you might say, I don't know about them. Well, now you do. Yeah. Now you do. And, and this is something that we can do about it. And I, I just, another thing I've kind of learned is I, I, when, when I get overwhelmed, I kind of, I kind of have a tendency to want to shut down. And we can't do that. We can't say, you know what, there's so many problems in the world and I can't fix everything, so I'm going to do nothing. Right? I just believe that you might not be able to change the whole world. Your mom might have told you that because she loves you. You could change the world. Well, you probably can't change the whole world. But here's the thing. If you could change the world for one person, that's a super big deal. And I think we should live like that. And the other thing that that I believe is, I believe that God's word is powerful. And, and I know that a lot of us have come in today and, and with some heavy burdens. And you might go like, well, what is that? Is that like your pastoral spidey senses? Like your intuition? No, a lot of you guys have come up and going, I'm having a hard time. Right? And so it's just a practical thing. Like I'm hearing stories. We're all going through a hard time. And I just believe that God's word has the power to intervene in our lives and to build us up and to nourish us. And so I just, and I also believe this. I believe that prayer matters. Now, I believe that, but I just want to be honest with you, is, is I struggle to pray like prayer matters, but I do believe that. And I, this year, I just want to become a man of integrity in prayer, to, to believe that prayer matters, and to pray like prayer matters. And, and to look at God's word, like at any moment, he could speak a word, because he spoke a word and the whole world was created that way. Out of nothing, but God's breath in words... Everything that was created was created. And and the Bible says that God's word is breathed out by God and is useful. And we need it. So I want to pray and then I want to get into God's word believing that this time is going to be meaningful. Heavenly Father, may we not pray like we're checking off a box. May we not come to church like we're checking off a box. May we not come into your presence believing that if we just spend a little time there, that you'll reward us somehow. But may we just be drawn into your presence as if that's everything. God, I want to live like that. I want to understand your word. I want to be able to say and mean it that when I taste your word, it tastes like honey to my lips. So God, I just ask that you would help us through the power of your Holy Spirit. You would illuminate your word to us in Galatians. 
that we would understand it, that, that, and that it would build us up, it would, that it would be what we needed. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can turn to uh, Galatians. We're actually going to be in Galatians chapter 4. I'm just going to read a couple of texts to kind of bring us up to speed in case you haven't been following along or, or in case you've had a busy week like mine and you're just kind of lost in that. That happens. But, but Galatians is an awesome letter. Galatians wasn't a city. It was a region and a whole area, right? And there was a guy named Paul. You probably heard of him. He was a missionary. He, he actually hated Christians at first. Then he had this encounter with Jesus while he was walking on a road and it changed his life forever. But his encounter with Jesus changed his life, it changed his mission, it changed his purpose, it changed everything into where now he didn't want to go from town to town to kill Christians, he wanted to go from town to town to tell everybody to become a Christian because it's so awesome. And so he's going all over the place, and he does three major missionary journeys. The first one he does, he ends up going through this region, which is like uh, uh, Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey, right? We see that a lot in the news today. Jesus is walking through basically the news. Like, this is, these are places that still exist. Jesus is walking through this area in this region of Galatia. I mean, Paul was. And he's telling people about Jesus. They're, they're believing it. They're, they're, they're starting to follow Jesus. Churches are getting planted all over here. And, and then he leaves because he, that's what he does. He plants churches and he leaves and he's, he's doing it all over the place. And while he's out doing his work in other places, these guys come along. They call them the Judaizers. And they're basically saying like, hey, Paul, great guy. You know, Jesus, Jesus loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's pretty elementary. You also need to follow the law. Like, who does he think he is saying you don't need to do that? And now Paul is sending this letter basically saying how dangerous that concept is. And that it's no gospel at all. So in, in, in Galatians 1, uh, verses 6 and 7, he starts it off like, like this. He goes, and now, remember these are people that he loves. That he's had a relationship with. That he was so excited about because they responded to the gospel. They're planting churches. They're doing well when he left. And then he hears bad news. You can imagine like if you had a teenager, right? And they went off to college and you just heard like, oh, their, their faith's crashing. You would write them a letter, right? And say like, what's up with that? What, what are you thinking, right? That's exactly the kind of language he uses. He goes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The gospel that I shared with you, they're trying to distort it. Namely, we'll see what they're going to do. He, he describes that in, in the next chapter. In, in uh, chapter 2, verse 16, he goes like this. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed, who have believed in Christ Jesus... In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So we've been kind of packing along with this basic idea that Paul is saying like, like hey, the good news is so good. And he keeps bringing up what's good about the good news. And what, they're, what these Judaizers are trying to convince you of is not good news at all. As a matter of fact, it's, it's another gospel and it's no gospel at all. 
And so he's, he's given all these analogies. When we get into uh, a chapter 4, we get into, realistically, some hard things to read. It, it's some heavy kind of stuff where he, he assumes that we understand some things about their culture. Because they did, right? When he was writing to them, he's using some analogies that were very familiar to them, but won't be very familiar to us. And, and he's, 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 he's uh, assuming that we have some Old Testament uh, knowledge, which we, honestly, most of us don't have. I've been studying this week going, like, what does that even mean? So, so if you're like, this, this is kind of new to me, I think it, it, it's just something that we're not really familiar with. And so there's some things I want to just say as we get into this. Number one, when you're reading the Bible, it's really important that you don't take words that Paul's saying and try to take our modern contemporary understanding of those words and, and, and think that that's what he's talking about. One of them is slavery. He talks about slavery. I, I'm uncomfortable talking about slavery. We, we, we talk about human trafficking now, and that's, that's our current kind of probably context for slavery. Well, we all know like in, 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 in early American history, what, what we think about as slavery is different than what Paul's talking about. Not that we can justify what, what, what's going on in, in Paul's area at that time. And, and not that he's even trying to say like, like bring, like, like, like justify. He's not. He's using an analogy of, 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 of slavery. And what he's going to say is that really, you got, these guys are coming in and convincing you to go back and like and do the law, and it's actually putting you in slavery. It's not freedom. And Christ has called you to freedom. So let's dig in a little bit, and we'll try to unpack some of these things and see it the way that Paul means it. And then understand, because it's just an analogy. Trying to understand what underneath that is he actually trying to say. What is he trying to say? And, and one of the things is this. The Judaizers basically come into town. I think this is something that I can relate to. Yeah, they come into town and, 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 and they say, you know, you have this gospel that, that you, needed to, you needed Jesus. You need Jesus. That's what Paul's telling them. You need Jesus. And they believe it. And the Judaizers aren't coming in and saying you don't need Jesus. They're saying you, you need Jesus. But you need to add something else to your life. And I don't know about you, but I, I think... For the most part, most Christians that I know and myself, we kind of try to do that, right? Like we have our own life, and we want to just kind of add Jesus to that. Or we, we kind of have this Jesus thing. It's like this compartment called our Christianity, and then we try to add all these other things to our life. And, and Paul's saying, that doesn't work. It doesn't give life. It's no good news. And so he, he kind of unpacks it this way. So we'll, we'll read it. And what you're going to see in this first section that I think Paul is saying, he's saying, he's talking about the law that they're trying to say is, is good news. Like, follow this. It'll be good for you. It'll take you to the next level. And he goes, no, Jesus is greater than both sides of the law. And we'll look at that in a second. We'll see what both sides of the law mean. So let's start in uh, 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 chapter 4 of verse 1. Now, Paul, in, in chapter 3, has given an analogy. We looked at it last week. He said that you guys are trying to follow this law, which was given by who? Moses. Right? All the answers in, Jesus, in, uh, in church are always Jesus or Moses. And when you're dealing with the Old Testament, it's usually Moses. So he goes, he goes, you guys are trying to follow this law that was given to Moses. And he goes, but before there was even Moses, there was Abraham. And God gave a promise to Abraham that was by grace. 
He didn't deserve it. Abraham didn't deserve it. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a promise that he made that he was going to bless him and he was going to bless his offspring and that all the world was going to be blessed through his offspring. And he goes, Jesus is the, is the fulfillment of that promise. That's what he goes. And then he goes, and then, he, and then the law came along 400-something years later and its job wasn't to make you right with God. Its job, it, its job it was, it was given because of iniquity. And its job was to point you to Jesus in that you would try to do it and you'd realize, I can't. I need God so bad. So to try to follow the law to be right with God is no good news at all because we can't. And it points to Jesus. It's supposed to point to Jesus. And he says, in Christ, we have a couple things last week. He goes, you've been justified because of the blood of Jesus. You've been made right with God because of the blood of Jesus, there's nothing more that you can or, or, or should do. You can't add to it. And then he goes, in that, you've been baptized with him. And that doesn't mean water baptism. He means you've been identified with Jesus. It's, it's in order to say, he's your God and, and we're his. I am yours and, 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 and you're my God. It's an identifying with Jesus. When we, when we have a water baptism, it's an outward expression of that inward real work that, of being identified with Jesus. And then he says, and you can be clothed with him. You be clothed with him. Uh, we're going to go to a wedding today, some of us, and, and we're going to see uh, the, 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 the look on a, a bride's face when she puts on her wedding dress. And so Paul's using this analogy, put on Christ. Like that. And then, and then he goes, and not only that, you're going to be heirs the promise. Heirs of a promise. And he's going to pick up on that. He goes, I mean that the heir, that's where I'm, that's what he's saying. Now you have to understand this in their society. We pretty much like to think that we're all like equal, right? We talk about that. Like, like we're, we're just a bunch of equals. Even though in society we know there is some, some social classes, but we like to play that down. In their society, they didn't play that down at all. They celebrated it, right? It was like you were the emperor, which was like equal with God. And then everything kind of trickled down from there. And then you were a citizen. There was a whole category of different citizens. There were non-citizens. And then there were slaves. It was the lowest tier in their culture. And he's going, you're going to be an heir. Now an heir, to be an heir, to be a son in that culture, like to have, to have a dad who was somebody, and then you get born into that, and then you're an heir. Because it was hard to move up on the social stratus in that culture. To be born into a high elite a, a, a status was a big deal. To be an heir, you, you're somebody, not because you deserve it, because, because you're an heir. And that's what he's saying. He's saying you're an heir. Now, they'll, they'll, they'll puzzle me this. What could be higher than God? You know what's higher than the emperor? God. And he's saying you're the heir of God. You're the, that would have been, if, if, if you were in that culture, you would have been like, no way. <laughs> and, and in chapter 3, he goes, now there's no more slave. There's no more uh, freedman. There's no more female, there's no more male, there's no more Jew, there's no more Gentile. All that stuff doesn't matter. You're all one in Christ and you're all heirs. So when we hear the word sonship, don't think female or male. It doesn't mean that. He's saying a sonship is somebody who inherits something because of their father. That's all it means. And he's saying you are heirs. You're heirs of God.
It's a big deal. I mean, I didn't even have three donuts, and I know it's a big deal, so get excited. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Now, if you're reading that and going, everyone else understands that, but I have no idea what he's talking about, you're not alone. This is not easy to unpack. This is not something that you read once and, and you understand it. But he's saying, I mean that you're going to be heirs. But as long as you're a child, so they had something in their society that was like this. If you were like a big deal, let's say you were like, you were the emperor, right? And you had a kid, you had a son, and he was an heir, he was going to inherit that someday, but not yet. When he's a child, right, he goes to school, and you would have servants, you would have guardians and managers that would, it would basically be like a nanny. That's our culture today. You would, you would have a nanny, and he would, ha he would have somebody overlooking him. Even though he's an heir, of this great thing, but while he's a child, he's under someone else's care. He's, un he's under guardianship, right? Until they were usually about like 25, which we can learn something from that in our society, right? Right? Um, so so th that's the idea he's given. And, but he's giving you an analogy, and he's saying that was the law. That was Israel under the law. They were heirs. But they were under the law. They were, they were under a guardianship and a manager until the day that his father had set. And so Paul kind of unpacks a couple things about the law that I see in here. And try to try, well, let's go through them in your notes and see if you can see it too. The first thing that we see is in this whole section is that God had an intention for the law. The law is not bad. In, in, in the earlier chapter, in chapter 3, last week, we looked at it and he goes, he goes, well, if I'm arguing you don't have to follow the law, then what's the purpose of the law? He said it was given because of sin. In other words, the law doesn't make you sin, but it reveals to you that you're a sinner. In other words, when you get married, here's something that we always say. Being married won't make you selfish, but it will surely show you how selfish you are. Right? And the law was given like that. It was supposed to be a gift that pointed to Jesus. It pointed to your need for God. So God intended the law to point to Jesus. And one thing about the law, and you're looking at this idea of a father, when you're a parent, you give your kids guidelines and rules. Why? Because you love them. And he's saying that obedience to God's law isn't a bad thing. Obedience to God's law is a good thing, and it leads to blessing. There's lots of instances of that even in the New Testament. In Ephesians, it says, for kids, obey your parents. Because there's a blessing that comes with that. There's a blessing that comes with obedience. So God gives the law because he loves us and we're his kids. Because all good dads make rules. All good dads discipline. That's just normal. A good God, a good dad will always do that. And the law... Was for that, but, the, but by, by far the number one reason the law was given is because conviction calls you back to Jesus. The purpose of the law was not to make you a sinner, but to reveal to you that you were a sinner, not so that you would feel bad about yourself, but so that you would realize that you 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 have a need. It would it would it would, it would make you brokenhearted, humble, and it would point you to Jesus. It would draw you to Jesus. The greatest purpose of the law is to point you to Jesus. It's to make you know that you need Jesus. 
Listen, when you're dealing with the gospel, this is part of the gospel. Paul's not saying that the law is not part of the gospel. The law is an important part of the gospel in that it shows you that you need Jesus. But it's no gospel if, you, if, if, if you're stuck there. You have to know that Jesus is enough. Once it points you to Jesus and he takes care of everything, then everything is taken care of. You're justified by faith, not by obedience to the law. And I, I will give this analogy like this. How many of you guys like to eat? I mean, I know this is a cruel trick because you're all getting hungry. What are some of your guys' favorite things to eat? Come on. Who likes pizza? Fried chicken. Ice cream. Ice cream. I love ice cream. But my only problem is I just can't eat one bowl of ice cream. I have to eat the whole thing because I'm not a quitter. Right? Food. I love ribs. I mean, come on, guys. Let's get, with, get into it. What's that? Pot roast. That's old school. I like that. It's comfort food, right? You know, you have, you have some good pot roast. But here's the thing about food. Food is given for, pledge, for, for us to enjoy, right? It's a gift from God. But also, food can reveal things about you, right? Food can reveal things about you. Like, I eat too much of it. And I know that reveals something about you, right? Like, I don't know if it's compulsive or what. It's like no self-control. But food can reveal that. It can also be, be dangerous because when, when, when women are, or, or men have a body image and they struggle with food, it can reveal things. But, but think about this. What if you were never hungry? Hunger is actually a gift from God. Because when you're hungry, have you ever had Thanksgiving dinner and you're like, and you're super hungry, and then you eat it, but if you fill up on a bunch of stuff, it's like the same food, but it's like it's not as enjoyable. Hunger is part of the enjoyment. Right? We say that in the firehouse. I work as a fireman, and, and if you, we're supposed to have dinner on the table at 6. That's kind of the goal. Otherwise, there's like repercussion, right? And it's usually like, like banter, right? And that's what people say. The number one ingredient in this meal, because it's 8 o'clock, is hunger, right? Of course it's going to be good, because everyone's starving, right? And so hunger is a gift from God, and the, gospel, or, and the law is a gift from God, because it reveals a hunger for God. It's supposed to make you hungry for God. That's what God intended the law to do, to point us to our need for Jesus, who was coming and now has come. And Paul's saying, now that he's come, why are we going back to it? Why are we going back to that which points to, why are we leaving Jesus and going back to that which points to Jesus? It makes no sense. And then there's the enemy. The enemy twisted the law to keep you in bondage. God wanted it to lead you to freedom, but, but the enemy wants to use it in bondage, and he uses it in two ways. One of them is self-righteousness. In some of us, we love the law because you guys love to like, like make lists and then little boxes and then check them off and you like feel so good about yourself. Like I had a really productive day, I had like eight things on my list and I checked off nine things. Extra credit, right? Well, well, I don't know if you did good or not. You just, you just, I don't know. It's like a game you're playing with yourself. And following the law had become like a, a game that they were playing with themselves. And then there was this idea of self-righteousness, right? It was what the Pharisees were known for. Thinking that they're better than everyone else because they're doing a good job at, at making up their own rules and then following those. Right? And self-righteousness is, it leads to bondage. And then the other one is this. If God can't make you, or if the enemy can't make you self-righteous by, by, by following some set of rules, then he'll bring condemnation. 
Condemnation is when you feel horrible because you can't follow the law. You feel horrible and then you feel shame. And now all you want to do is not only hide from everybody, but you want to hide from God. It's what we see in the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, uh, Adam and Eve sinned and they felt shame and they hid from God. It's condemnation. Condemnation is much different than conviction. Condemnation makes you want to hide from God. Conviction makes, draws you to God. That's what God wants. But, but, but with all of that mess, here's number C, at number, letter C that I think Paul's trying to say. At best, the law is an external influence on your life. Because that's what he says. He said it was given like a guardian or a manager to manage your life, to guard your life. It's an external influence on your life. And when you're a kid, you need that. You know what? When you're, when you're two years old, you need your parents to put strict boundaries and say, don't do that. Don't touch that fire. Don't run out in the middle of the street. I know you like your ball a lot, but you'll get killed. Right? You need that. But if you still need that when you're 25, something, something went wrong. There, there's a process that's supposed to happen where, where, you, where you don't need that anymore. And the, and the idea is that sin management is, te- is, is temporary at best. If you're just trying to follow the law, really, you're just trying to manage your sin, aren't you? You guys ever been caught up in that trap? Like, like you go to the men's retreat or the women's retreat, and you're like, I'm going to be such a great dad from now on. I'm going to be such a good, I'm changing everything, right? And I made a whole list, and I got a buddy who's going to ask me seven questions, not six, not eight. That's the magic. I learned it this time. And I'm going to do this, right? And it's sin management. But it's an external and it's good to, to want to change. I'm not saying that. But to try to do it on your own. It just doesn't work. It's temporary at best. And then the last thing that he's saying is that following Jesus is better than following the law. That's the big picture. Following Jesus is way better than following the law. And he gives you this analogy at the end. He goes, when we were doing that, we were like enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In Greek, that would be like the ABCs. Of, of, of following God. It was like the, the elementary principles, the ABCs. But guess what? Jesus is not the ABCs. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. Amen. The beginning and the end. Jesus is better than following the law. Following Jesus is better than following the law. Forget the rules and follow Jesus. You guys don't like that one? <laughs> Alright. I got excited. Then he says... He says, uh, he builds this up. Now he goes, he goes, look, I, I'm sick of talking about the bad news. Let me talk about the good news for a while. What is this all pointing to? And he's going to say that you're, we are redeemed, adopted, and empowered by God. That's the good news we need to remember. In Galatians 4, 4 through 7, he goes, but when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, Jesus has now come. If you think about it in, in human history, it's amazing when Jesus came, right? Alexander the Great came and he brought in this Greek empire and he tried to Hellenize everything. He tried to, he basically said, everybody who's not Greek is a barbarian and we're going to spread our Greek culture everywhere and make everyone Greek because that's a blessing to them. That's what he believed. It's Hellenization. Well, he did that. He did that effectively to the point when, when Jesus came, everybody spoke Greek. They all spoke the same language. Right? They all spoke Greek and Latin. Right? And so that happens. Plus, at the time when Jesus came, like all these other religions were kind of losing their, their faith. They've been trying it for so long and it wasn't working. There was a hunger growing. 
you know, and not just in Judaism, but all throughout the land, Greeks were starting to go like all this Greek mythology. It's interesting and fun to talk about, but we don't believe it. We need something more. And not only that, the Roman Empire came and they started building roads all over, connecting everything. All roads lead to Rome is what we say, right? And that was true. And Jesus comes. He, he dies on a cross. He sends guys out like Paul. They have roads to travel on. They all speak the same language and they're hungry. And Paul goes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The top tier. The heir of God. Adopted. Adopted, in this sense, doesn't mean as a child. This Greek word, although that's a, that's a big deal in, in the Bible. We should, we should deal with adoption. But this word right here is not saying you're adopted like a kid. It's saying you're adopted as an adult. As an adult heir. Ready. Ready to inherit. And what else do you see in here? I mean, there's so much in here. We don't have time to unpack all this. I know this is a lot of confusing, but... Basically, Paul just like, like packs all this stuff in here. It could explode. We could do a whole series on this. But one thing that you're going to notice is that there is a lot of Trinity in this. You're going to get a Mormon's going to come to your church and go, I don't believe in the Trinity. And you're gonna, it doesn't say it in the Bible. Go, oh yeah, we'll read Galatians 4. Because it talks about the Father and the Son and the Spirit all as God. But I, he didn't use the word Trinity, but it talks about the Trinity. And it says that Jesus becomes our Redeemer. The word redeem in, in this Greek word means to set free by paying a price. One of the things that's different about slavery in that time than, 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 the, than the, the slavery that we've seen is that there was no hope for a slave in the one that we've seen, right? But, but, but in that time, the slaves had some rights. They could marry, they could, they, could, they could raise money, they could buy their own freedom. Or they could be bond servants, maybe they owed a debt and they could say, I'm going I'm to be a slave for seven years. At the end of that seven years, they would be free. They become freedmen. There was hope, right? And so when 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 either they would they would buy themselves or someone else would come along and and and, and buy their freedom, you know what word they use? That person's redeemed. Paul's not making you just he's not mincing words. He's saying you were slave, but now you've been redeemed. You're free. You're free now. You've been redeemed through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And not only that, that God becomes your heavenly father. Jesus becomes your redeemer, and God becomes your heavenly father. Remember in that hierarchy, when you were a slave, that was the lowest tier. If you were an heir of somebody important, that was the highest tier. You were an heir of God, is what he's saying. You're adopted as sons. Sonship. Not female and male. It's, 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 it's inheritance that he wants to give to you. J.I. Packer says this about sonship, and I thought this was powerful. He says, closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Amen. You, my friends, in Christ are loved and cared for by God the Father. 
And that is amazing. He says you're heirs through God. We are waiting a grand inheritance. We have a hope and a future. I don't, Paul goes like this. I don't, and these present sufferings that I'm going through, and he was going through tremendous sufferings when, when he said this. He goes, these present sufferings that I'm going through are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed on the day of Christ Jesus. That's the inheritance. That's just a hope that we have. It doesn't mean that your life's not hard and that you, that you should always smile. It doesn't mean that. You smile too much, then, then, then you're fake. Cry sometimes. Invite someone to cry with you. That's what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach smile all the time. It says bear each other's burdens. That means you need to let go and let people know you got some. Right? And that's okay. But at the end of the day, we have this hope. That, that, that carries us through. That people are supposed to see and start asking questions. That's what Peter said. When they see the hope that you have, they should start asking questions. What's up with that? We should have a problem where we need to have answers. But the problem is we don't have that problem, right? We just can't find anyone asking. So we need to change some things. And he says, and the Holy Spirit enters our hearts. And he teaches us to have intimacy with God. The Holy Spirit, that's not normal, especially for dudes. We don't like to, like, as adult dudes, we have all these, like, compartment boxes, like, we go, like, go in, like, we have my work box, I have my, like, my, my romantic box, I have all these boxes, right? And the intimacy with Jesus box, that one's tough. That one, like, next year, right? <laughs> that's like when you're going through the, the, the garage and cleaning out, and you're like, not this year, we're not dealing with that, it's too much. Right? But the Holy Spirit helps you with your intimacy with Jesus. Anyone need help with that? Anyone like, like I just feel so close to Jesus all the time, it's amazing. It's almost, it's almost a burden. <laughs> or, or anybody like me going like, sometimes I just feel overwhelmed and alone. And it's like, I know Jesus is there, but I can't bail out. I just wish I was closer. I wish I could pray better. I wish I could sit and pray without ADD. I wish I could get through two sentences in prayer without thinking about something else. Yeah, and the Holy Spirit helps you, he says. Is that not good news? No wonder Paul was astonished that they were bailing on it. Teaches us to have intimacy with God. And not only that, it transforms us from the inside. What does the law do? At best, it's an external, it's an external influence on our life. And the Holy Spirit comes and changes us from the inside out. That was always his plan. His plan was never that the law was going to fix us. His plan was always that the law would create a hunger for what was coming. Namely, Jesus. And then lastly, he says this. That the greatest prize in all of the world, the greatest treasure, is to know God. This intimacy that the Holy Spirit's working on is the greatest thing in the world. He goes, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods at all. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, be known by God. You ever feel like, I know about God, but does He know me? Anyone, you know, like when you read through People Magazine, I don't know if you, if you start, like if you're real good at reading, you start to feel like you know that person, right? Like, like oh yeah, I know her. Right? I know that person. And you could like, talk about facts. You know all the things that are going. You know more about their life than they know about. Because you watch TMZ. 
And then there's like stuff that they've caught on film that they didn't even see, right? And you saw it first. You don't know them. That's why Paul stops. He goes, yeah, you know God. But not just information about Actually, you have a, a relationship. It's both ways. You know him and he knows you. You have a real relationship with God. That is the greatest thing in the world. I, I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface for me. And I'm a pastor. I feel like I'm barely scratching the surface of this, of this relationship with God and being able to enjoy it and, and, and live in it. Do you guys relate to that? Or am I crazy? Yeah. And so that's like the number one thing. He's like, why are we going back to all these other things when, when, when we're going to spend a whole lifetime trying to figure that out and go deeper with that? He goes, you, didn't, you formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? There's nothing that you can buy that's going to fix that hurt. There's not, there's, not a, there's not a next step in your job that's going to fulfill you. There's not a bigger house out there that's big enough for that hole. There's not enough people that can tell you how great you are and like you to fix that. Why are we going back to that as, feed me, love me, appreciate me. And God's like, I love you. I appreciate you. I died for you. I want you. So Paul's saying, not that those other things aren't important and they don't hurt, but that we've been given something that we just need to sit on for a moment and relish on. We'll have the worship team come back up with what a better thing to worship about. And he goes, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Ever feel like Christianity's like that? It's going through the motions. You do days and you, Sunday I go to church. Right? Monday through Friday, I read one chapter in the Bible. Wednesday, I go to community group. Okay, this thing's... But, but, I'm, but what's... You're just going through the motions, or is it all about knowing Him? Are you, are you drawing close to Him? Do you know Him? Do you know that He knows you? Do you know that He sees you right now? Do you know that you're sitting there brokenhearted, and you're trying to cover it up, and He knows. He just wants to sit there with you. He just wants to love you through it. He just wants to walk with you through it. He just wants to touch that intimacy box and say, I know you don't know what to do, but I created it, so just come on in. I want the Holy Spirit help you. Do you even want that? Maybe that's the application today. Do you even want that? You don't have to know what to do. But is there a hunger? And lastly, the things that I think are, are applicable in this, in this last section is this. He goes, obey God because you love Him. That's what sons do. Obey God because you love Him. Live out of that relationship. Live out of the fact that you've already been given so much as heirs. Don't obey God to earn His love. And lastly, this is the one I like the most, and I'm going to make a bumper sticker. Live as thankful sons, not as entitled brats. Louch! <laughs> Live as entitled. I mean, you've been given so much. Entitlement is when you think you deserve. You don't deserve any of this we're talking about. That's why it makes no sense. I don't deserve it. Yeah, but relish it. Because the sons don't get things because they deserve it. They get things because they have a good father. And that is our position. Let's worship. Amen. Mm -hmm.